You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You might call it Herbert Hoover's revenge. Although Franklin Roosevelt would beat Hoover in the 1932 election, a landslide, and although Hoover was continuously attacked in FDR's re-election, even though he wasn't on the ballot, and by Democratic campaigns for years, Herbert Hoover would outlive Franklin Roosevelt by 19 years. He lived to see World War II, the Eisenhower presidency, the assassination of JFK, and the nomination of Barry Goldwater. At 31 years, he holds the record for the longest time as ex-president of anyone in history. John Adams and Gerald Ford had 30 years. Jimmy Carter would need to see 2012 and Bill Clinton 2022 to match Hoover's record. After his defeat in 1932 and retirement in 1933, having suffered not only a defeat at the polls, but an additional bank crisis which hit after the election, but before FDR would take office in 1933. And that just made Hoover's reputation sink even lower. Hoover kept quiet and remained at his estate in Palo Alto, California. Privately, he hated the New Deal. He was a progressive man who felt science, technology, the markets would cure ills in society. Government handouts would lead to laziness or even worse. After the midterms of 1934, when Washington became almost a one-party town, Hoover then decided to speak out. It was now a year and a half after he had been president. With so many Republicans defeated, there was no other senior member of the party. He warned in speeches that the New Deal would lead to dictatorship as was then developing in Germany and Italy. Hoover attempted to get the nomination of his party in 1936. Party members were not interested and settled around the governor of Kansas, Alf Landon. Hoover supported Landon, although Landon's positions were very close to the the New Deal they were opposing. Hoover also sought the nomination in 1940, but at this point other people, Taft, Dewey, and Wendell Wilkie, had taken control of the party. Prior to World War II, Hoover spoke out against intervention, saying it was folly to try and help the United Kingdom. Once the war started, however, he dropped his call for isolationism and offered to help Roosevelt. The call from the White House never came. But Roosevelt's successor, Harry Truman, liked Hoover genuinely and appointed him to a board to help feed German children after World War II, a task that he performed excellently, just as he had after World War I when he was part of the Wilson administration. Further, Truman asked Hoover to help him reorganize the federal government, a task that President Eisenhower would also ask him to help with. To some extent, his reputation improved into the 40s and 50s. Though this is a situation where a person like Hoover was probably better remembered later in life than in history. Probably had a better reputation in the 40s and 50s and 60s than he does now, as now he is still the symbol of the Depression. As late as 1992, candidate Tom Harkin 
referred to George Herbert Hoover Bush. Jimmy Carter is a famous ex-president, helping Habitat for Humanity build houses, helping Venezuela and Nicaragua with the determine elections, diffusing crises in Haiti and North Korea. His statements have sometimes entered the political arena, calling Bush the worst president ever and calling the Israeli policy in the Gaza Strip apartheid. Recently, Bill Clinton's participation in his wife, Senator Hillary Clinton's campaign in South Carolina has touched off controversy. What does an ex-president do? They are, in a sense, walking political time bombs, partisan symbols, and news-getting speakers. They can influence events, but they have no executive power. The Constitution is not to blame for this, for all these ex-presidents roaming the world. Not in a direct way, anyway. The Constitution, originally crafted, made no limit on the number of terms a president can seek. A president could, if elected every four years, hold the office for life. But it did make those very four-year terms. And this alone could increase the intervals for an electoral decision or a decision to retire, thus setting up a democratic government, and rejecting kingship. It was George Washington's precedent of only seeking two terms that held until the 1940s, when FDR, citing the looming crisis in Europe, decided to run for third and fourth terms. Later, the Constitution was amended to enforce George Washington's precedent. And so now you have high-profile partisan symbols who can make news when they speak, or when they write letters. But then it's not entirely new. Franklin Pierce didn't say anything publicly, but he did write letters to his friend and cabinet member, Jefferson Davis, that got him in big trouble. To Davis, he wrote in the outbreak of the Civil War, I will never support this vile and unjustified and aimless war. Pierce was from New Hampshire and was in the North and thought his letters were written in confidence. After all, Jefferson Davis was a good friend of his. The trouble was, when Vicksburg, Mississippi was seized by Union forces, Davis's mansion was captured, and the letters were found. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And printed in newspapers around the North, and the reputation of the former president, Franklin Pierce, was ruined. He was labeled as a traitor. Of course, around the same time Pierce was writing the letter, another ex-president was more direct about his support for the Confederate cause. Ex-President John Tyler swore allegiance to the Confederacy and was actually elected to a seat in the Confederate Congress. He died before he could take it. Depending on your viewpoint on things, he might have been the first and only president buried under another country's flag because he was buried under a Confederate flag. Three other presidents were alive while Lincoln held office during the Civil War. Millard Fillmore opposed Lincoln though he did raise a regiment of New Yorkers and supported the war. Buchanan took arms when his house in Lancaster was in the way of Confederate troops. He later defended his administration in memoirs. History, he said, will vindicate my presidency. Martin Van Buren, who had not supported Lincoln in 1860, but was, at this point, against slavery and supported the war and Lincoln's prosecution of it, though he died in the first year of the war. Van Buren, who only served one term as president, may have had another term, was it not for possibly the actions or statements of an ex-president. When Martin Van Buren was defeated, the previous president, Andrew Jackson, blamed the economy and said in four years Van Buren, his former vice president, would be back. But in 1844, after the debate over the annexation of Texas, Van Buren took a stand against that annexation which was the same position that the opposing party's candidate, Henry Clay, had. Andrew Jackson expressed to friends that he was very disappointed that now both candidates, Clay and Van Buren, would oppose annexation. He was very disappointed with Van Buren. We cannot allow the Brits to have another Kennedy at our west. They've already got one at our north, Andrew Jackson said. Van Buren was not nominated in 1844 and a Jackson ally, James Knox Polk, was, and elected in that year. How much was this influenced by Jackson is not known, but certainly he was pleased with the Polk nomination. Of course, the most politically active ex-president was Theodore Roosevelt, and it would be hard for anyone to ever match his record. Upon his return from a European tour in 1910, Theodore Roosevelt immediately began running against his former ally, William Howard Taft. My hat is in the ring, he said. And when the machinery, including some old friends of Teddy Roosevelt's, were working against him, he kept going, running as a progressive on a third-party line. Theodore Roosevelt was also very, very active in the 1916 campaign, attacking Wilson directly and making almost as many speeches as the Republican candidate that year. He again campaigned in the 1918 midterms against the Wilson administration. And if not for his declining health would certainly have ran again for president in 1920. Running for office is not unheard of for ex-presidents. John Quincy Adams spent 18 years in the House of Representatives after losing the presidency, where he became an outspoken abolitionist. Andrew Johnson was elected to the Senate after his presidency, though he died before he could assume office. In his memoirs, James Buchanan wrote that history will vindicate my presidency. It didn't. Buchanan despite the memoirs, despite making his case in public, is still regarded as one of the worst presidents 
for his non-action during the secession crisis that led to the Civil War. History tends to be far more interested in the presidencies than the ex-presidencies, at least so far. We don't learn too much about Hoover in the 31 years of his life after the presidency. Not much about Truman's 23 years, and little about John Adams' 30, Washington's three years, nor Polk's single year. The presidencies, it seems, are all that remain. If the historical perspective doesn't change, this could be bad news, perhaps, for Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter, and possibly George W. Bush. With history beating up politics, I'm Bruce Carlson. I want to thank you for listening. The website, again, is myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for another episode, please leave them there. A lot of the episodes we do come from suggestions. I also just wanted to make a quick note that if your favorite ex-president didn't get talked about, uh, I do plan to do another episode on ex-presidents. There's so many stories and so much to talk about here that it can be fairly easily split up. I mean, we didn't even talk about John Adams and Jefferson and their famous post-presidential communications. And I will be addressing some listener questions and comments uh, in a future episode dedicated to that. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.